Okay, we're going to talk about the Arab Parshis. We just started yesterday, was Shabbos, Rishchidosh, Adar, and we took out three Sifri Torah. And in the third Sifri Torah, we went Parshas Shkodam, which is the f- first of four special readings that we do at this season of the year. That's why it's called the Arab Parshis, the four um, <coughs> readings um, that we do now. So the concept of, of reading the Torah every Shabbos that the Gemara says was already um, instituted. Um, one second. Was already instituted, possibly even in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, but for sure very early on in the history of our people. The, the, the Gemara Bavakama, which brings a Brisa that says um, that Ezra instituted the reading of the Torah on Monday and Thursday. So the Gemara says a question, what do you mean? Um, Ezra is the one who instituted the practice of reading the Torah on Monday and Thursday. Surely it was instituted much earlier on than Ezra, as the Brisa teaches, that after we read in Pasha's Peshalach, after the splitting of the sea, um, they went in the wilderness for three days and found no water. And the Gemara says, so those who interpret verses, they said, metaphorically, they said that water here refers to Torah, in Ma'ima the Torah, Torah is compared to water. And um, basically, terrible things, just like the Gashmir, just like physically, if you go three days without drinking water, you can't survive, certainly not in the desert. So, um, so, so too, we can't go three days without Torah. And so the prophets amongst the Jewish people, doesn't say who, but the prophets among the Jewish people instituted that, that we should never go three days without hearing the reading of the Torah. So we have Shabbos, Monday, and Thursday. And that way, the longest you, gap you have with no reading of the Torah is from Monday to Thursday, which is, um, which is less than three days. Um, so evidently, the practice predates Ezra. So we know that the Nevi'im who were before Ezra, Ezra is at the end of, Ezra is, is, is kind of a contemporary of Mordechai, maybe a little bit later. Ezra, um, Ezra is the one who leads the Jewish people out of Bavel to water at Israel at the end of the 70 years. And Mordechai went down to Bavel before the 70 years, right? We say in the second chapter of Megillus Esther that he went with Yechonia down to Bavel. Yechonia, uh, actually that was... Um, was one of the mistakes of the predecessors of the Nebuchadnezzar. Each of the kings of Babylon, they knew that there was this prophecy that the Jewish people were going to be in Babel for 70 years, and they each caused, uh, they each um, celebrated when the 70 years were up, according to their calculations. And there were three, there was a time when the 70 years were actually up, which is when Ezra um, went to Israel. Um, but there were Ahasuerus, uh, Belshazzar, and um, I think it was three kings who each thought that their calculation was 70 years were up and they celebrated and it turned out to be celebrating too early. So one of the kings, I forget if it was Ahasuerus or the one before him, thought that the 70 years would start from when Yechania was exiled, which was, if I recall correctly, about 10, 9, 10, 11 years um, before before the actual exile. Anyway, so that's the, the, just giving you the timeline of Ezra and a little bit connected to this time of year. So way before Ezra, there was already this practice of reading the Torah three times a week, Shabbos, Monday, and Thursday. And uh, Ezra added that they should also read it on Shabbos afternoon for the Yoshevei Kronis. And uh, there were two opinions as to what Yoshevei Kronis means. One opinion is that it was for the people who were lazy and sleeping in on Shabbos morning. Um, and another opinion is that it has to do with the people who were busy working. They were, they were you know, shopkeepers or whatever. I don't remember what the, why they would need a special one on Shabbos afternoon. Maybe it was to supplement for the Monday and Thursday one. Okay. Now, but before Ezra, we don't find, even much later than Ezra, we don't find a standardized practice as to what to read every Shabbos. You have to read the Torah. Uh, we know the Rambam mentions the Minhad, that 
in Israel, they used to read the Torah in a way that they would finish it in every, once every three years. The Rebbe actually mentioned this when he set up the two cycles of Rambam study for three chapters. And then one chapter they was that we are, quote, finishing the entire Torah every year or every three years, matching up with those two customs, the one that is prevalent amongst all of Kali Yisrael today to finish a Torah in a whole year, uh, every year on Tzimach's Torah, and the ancient practice, which did exist in some communities, to finish it once in three years. By the way, um, Pashas Mishpatim, which we just read yesterday, um, according to some Rishonim, in some Rishonim, you find that they call it, they had one Pasha, which started at the beginning of Mishpatim and went just for the first um, two, uh, two and a half alias. And then in Kesef Talvad, the Pasuka talks about lending money to your fellow was a new Pasha. I think possibly even in the Sefer Chinuch, he has Parshas in Kesef Talvad. Anyway, so the, the split up of exactly what we would read when and that becoming standardized is certainly, I don't know the exact time, but it's certainly much, much later um, than Ezra. However, with regards to the four readings that we do uh, now, Pasha Shkolim, which we read yesterday, Pasha Zohar, which will be next Shabbos, and then the two preceding Nisan, Pasha's Para and Pasha's Achedesh, that is already instituted, the Mishnah talks about it, and that is um, much, um, certainly a very early practice institution. And the Mishnah says like this, on the four Shabbos during and surrounding the month of Adar, a Torah portion of seasonal significance is read. When the new month, when the new moon of Adar occurs on Shabbos, as it did yesterday, the congregation reads a portion of Shkalim on that Shabbos. Um, if the new moon occurs during the middle of the week, um, then we advance the reading of that portion to the previous Shabbos. And in such a case, they interrupt the reading of the four portions on the following Shabbos, which would be the first Shabbos of the month of other, and no additional portion is read on it. So we have four readings and a possible um, of five or six weeks in which we read them. So I'll just, there's actually a simon to remember it. Um, I don't remember the simon, but I remember where I could find the simon printers. <laughs> um, so if if um, if Rosh Chodesh Adar falls on Shabbos, so then you're going to have the, the 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 one break is going to be on the fifteenth of the month because the on Shabbos you read Shkalim. The following Shabbos is the Shabbos before Purim. We always on the Shabbos before Purim read Zacher, which is to remember Amalek. Then the day immediately following Purim, the 15th of the month, is going to be a break. There's not going to be any extra parasha that week. And then the following two Shabbosim are uh, Para and HaChodesh. HaChodesh is always the one before uh, Nisan, before the month of Nisan. And Para, about the red heifer, to purify ourselves before Nisan, is always immediately preceding HaChodesh. Now, there can never be a break between Para and Achodesh, and one of the, um, one of the, whatever the word is to remember that, is that just like in the Seder, we have four cups of wine, um, and the strong, the, the, between the second and the third cup, you could drink as much wine as you want. Between the first and the second cup, usually we don't add anything, but there can be situations where you do. But between the third and the fourth cup of wine, you can never, because you've benched already, and you've already finished eating the Afikoman, so there's no extra eating or drinking besides for the fourth cup. So just like in the Seder, there's no interruption between the third and the fourth cup. There's never an interruption between Para and HaChodesh, between the last two of the four Pashis. Um, But basically, you're always going to have so you're always going to have HaChodesh being either on Rish Chodesh Nisan, if it falls on Shabbos, or on the Shabbos preceding it. Immediately preceding that, you're going to have Para. And Zacher is always going to be immediately preceding Purim. And HaChodesh is always going to be either on Rish Chodesh Adar or immediately preceding it. So um, usually most years you have during the month of other five Shabbosim, in which case there's going to be one break. There can be a year where you have two breaks, which is if Rish Chodesh Adar falls on Friday. If Rish Chodesh Adar falls on Friday, so then Shabbos Mavarchim, the Shabbos preceding Adi, read Shekalim, um, the, for the half a shekel, which we read yesterday. Then the second day of Adar today would be Shabbos, and you wouldn't read anything because it's not the Shabbos preceding Purim. Next Shabbos would be, would be in such a clear next Shabbos would be the Shabbos preceding Purim. And then you would read Zohar, and then there would be another break after that on uh, the 15th of the month. And then after that, you would read um, Para and Achish. Okay.
Now, yeah, then the Mishnah continues. On the second Shabbos, we read uh, Zacher, remember what Amalek did, which is from Deuteronomy 25. Very important to remember this, Deuteronomy 25, because the story, and we're going to come back to this soon, but let's already just put it in here. The story of Amalek is recorded in the Torah, the story that after the splitting of the sea and after the miracles of the Exodus, Amalek came. And that was a major, even though Amalek were defeated miraculously, but it was a cataclysmic event in the history of our people that, first of all, Amalek, as Rashi says, they were the first people to sort of throw cold water on the tremendous awe that the world had to the Jewish people. And Hayesh Hashem Bekirbeinu, Hashem, the Jewish people questioned whether God was even with that. Well, that was actually, sorry, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbeinu, the Jewish people questioning whether God was with them, was with them because they didn't have enough food to drink, Hashem said, okay, let me show you. And that instigated Amalek. Um, and this became something which we have to remember every day. Now, in Pasha's B'Shalach, when the Torah says the story, it says, Hashem says to Moshe, if I read this, write this down as a remembrance in the, in the Torah, um, that I'm going to eradicate the remembrance of Amalek. Right? That's what it says in the moment. Forty years later, at the very end of the sojourning in the desert, the Jewish people are given a mitzvah, which is to, to never forget. There's, there's, um, remember, do not forget. So it's a positive mitzvah to remember. It's a negative mitzvah not to forget. And we say this every day in the six remembrances. Um, that uh, what what Hashem what Amalek did to you that they called you off um, yeah and they so that's where the mitzvah to remember Amalek is recorded at the end of Pasha's Kisait say forty years after the desert which is what, what so that's the reading of the second Shabbos of Zacher is that is from that one it's not from it's not from what the Torah says immediately sorry let me get this all. After the story happens, it's to the actual mitzvah, which is found in, in, in Pashat Chisite. Okay, then we read the red heifer, which uh, details the purification process. One became ritually important through contact with the corpse, which is a preparation to everybody has to purify themselves before Pesach. And the fourth one is On the fifth Shabbos, they resume the regular weekly order of readings. Now, there is a machloikas in the Gemara. What this means, this last line of the Mishnah would seem to indicate that this reading of the special readings takes the place of the parasha. Instead of the parasha, you read that, and then it takes things. But the Maya said, it's Machlokas and Gemara, we don't pass in that way. We pass it, as you see here in the Rambam, that um, that we we, we, we do this uh, to get in conjunction with the regular reading, you know, like we did yesterday. Okay, why are we reading Shkalim? Why do, let's start with Shkalim, which is the first of the four. What's, what, why do we have to read Shekalim? So, the mitzvah of Shekalim is for every Jew to give a machzah shekel. Now, this is not talking about, we talk also about machzah shekel, people giving a half a shekel as part of the census of the way of counting the Jewish people in the desert. But the annual mitzvah, which applied in the time of the temple, was for every Jew to give once a year a half a shekel in order to, and that, and those funds were used to purchase the carbon and stibur, the communal sacrifices that were brought daily, every day, the karmatomid, and then the musaf for Shabbos, all of those communal sacrifices were brought um, every year from the half a shekel that people gave. Now, there had to be a set time for the half a shekel, for, for the half a shekel. In other words, it wasn't just a fund that everybody made sure once a year to put in half a shekel, and then there was a continuous flow of money in the bank of the, you know, of the of, of the in the budget of the Karbanis. But the Gemara says the pasuk says talking about the burnt offering brought on the new moon. But it's as if the Torah reads that this is the month in which you renew and bring the daily offerings from. Um, a new collection. So basically, every year on Rishchidosh Nisim, which is the first of the new moons, the first month, they would 
closed the accounts from last year, and any leftover Mahsashaka were no longer used for communal sacrifices. There were there was the Ramam enumerates what they were used for, but from Mishkhadish Nisan, they had to this is a special mitzvah, not just as a continuous flow, but that every year is its own distinct um fund of half a shekel for uh, the tax people would like this, um, for half a shekel for the carbonics. So if that new account has to be opened on Rosh Nissan, so a month before that, 30 days before every Yom Tov, we start preparing for the season. So 30 days before Pesach, we start learning about Pesach, etc. So 30 days before the new account of half a shekel has to be opened and and, and, and used, that's the time when we start um we start reminding people, okay, time to bring your new collection. So, um, so that's why we read the the the, the half a shekel. That's why we the, the the Gemara says that two weeks before, which is on Purim, basically or, or the day after Purim, um, that's when they would actually start opening. The booths all around the country, I guess, to collect the half a shekel. But 30 days before is what we start reminding people: get your half a shekel ready. So a month. So that's why on Rishchidish Nissan, on Rishchidish other, if it falls on Shabbos or the uh, the Shabbos preceding it, that's when we start reminding people that it's a good time to. That it's a good time to bring the. To, to, that's why we read. The, the half a shekel uh, parsha on at that time. Now, let's read this from the Chinuch where he describes the mitzvah. The mitzvah of giving a half a shekel is practiced at the time of the temple such that all of Israel is obligated to give it whether those that are standing in the land or those outside the land. So everybody, even Jews living outside, you know, just all have to send their half a shekel up. And not during the time of the temple, no man is obligated about it, even those standing in the land. So nowadays there is no mitzvah of machzis a shekel. And one who transgresses it does not give it. Sorry, one who transgresses it and does not give it has violated a positive commandment and his punishment is very great as he has separated himself from the community and is not included in their atonement, right? Because the the communal sacrifices are brought on behalf of everybody. You don't participate, then you are not getting the atonement, which is accomplished by the carbonus. And now in our sins that we do not have a temple, all of Israel is accustomed to remember the thing by reading this section of Kisisa, um, which goes from... Uh, um, till, till the Hebrew words... on the Shabbos that is before Rish Chodesh Adah. So the Chinuch, even though the Gemara doesn't say this explicitly, the Sefer Chinuch is, seems to be the first one who makes the explicit um, connection that the reason we read Shekalim nowadays is Zeichel In the olden days, they would have to bring the Machtus in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. And nowadays, as a remembrance for that, we are reading from the Torah we are reading from the Torah this portion. Now, in the Gemara, so far, we have not yet seen any connection to Purim. There's no connection so far between Machsa Shekel and Purim. Machsa Shekel is a mitzvah in the Torah to bring every year. The new account had to be opened in Nisan, 30 days before is Rosh Shadar. That's why we read Shkalim around that, that time of year. And the Chinuch says that it's connected with the Zeichel Mikdash. However, we do find also elsewhere that the Gemara does make a connection between Shkalim and Purim. Haman said to the king, Please, the king, let it be written that um, they be destroyed. And I will weigh out 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have the charge of the business, right? Now, in the end, we know the story. Achashosh didn't even uh, accept the money. But Rishlakish says, It was known. It revealed the known in advance to the one to the Hakadosh Baruch Hu, to the one who spoke, and the world came into being. So Hashem knew ahead of time that in the future Haman was going to weigh out shekels against the Jewish people, um, and therefore he arranged that the Jewish people's shekel that were given to the temple precede Haman's shekel. So there seems to be an allusion to the Gemara saying that the the. 
there seems to be an allusion to the Gemara saying that it's the mitzvah machzah which quote happens to come out at this time of year, which also had this chus to precede and therefore um, preclude the decree, the decree of Haman. Okay. Now, this is also, of course, the reason for the minhag that we have today, that in addition to reading the parasha of Shkalim, like we did yesterday, in closer proximity to Purim, ideally in the mincha before Purim, we give, actually give in America half a dollar to, on behalf of ourselves and every member of our family, to um, tzedakah, because based on this Gemara, that is the schus of shekel that preempted Haman's decree. Now, it's not actually because the money is not going to pay for carbonus in the base of Mikdash, so it's not the mitzvah of but it's also another thing in addition to reading of the Torah, it's another thing that we do in remembrance thereof. How much should we give? Half a dollar? So the, 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 the mitzvah is to give half of a coin. Now, exactly how much half of a shekel is worth? A shekel is actually a weight of silver. I don't recall offhand exactly how much it is and what a half a shekel would be in, in today's currency. But the mitzvah is to give half of the, of the local currency. Now, actually, in some countries, for example, in England, um, it's a, it, it becomes a whole thing what to do because there is actually a coin that is half a pound, but it's not called half a pound. It's called 50p. And there is this idea that the machzah shekel is supposed to be a coin that is known as a half. So in America, we do have half a dollar coin. Um, but uh, so in England, many people give the 50p and also half a dollar. Now, the problem with half a dollar is that it's not really a valuable currency in England. You can't do anything with it other than give it to Shleich Mitzvah to somebody traveling to the United States. Um, <laughs> And in fact, you probably couldn't even use it in a currency exchange because usually the currency exchange just take bills and, you know, they give you the change in local currency. Um, but anyway, in America, we are blessed to have a coin that is actually called a half. Some people use a silver half a dollar, which is a question into its own, whether that's permissible or advisable because, whatever, let's not get into that right now. Um, but basically, we give half a dollar coin. The minhag is to give three on behalf of each member of your family. Um, so that's, you know, that whole procedure comes on uh, Tanis Esther and there's going to be all the instructions posted with a sign from Rabbi Epstein that if you ask any questions, you have to give $5 to the coffee fund. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Now, what happens if we... Okay, so look at this Gemara. Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha said, when the Rishchidosh of Adar falls on Shabbos, we take out three Torah scrolls, like we did yesterday, and read from them. And the first one, we read the portion of the regular weekly reading, which the Mishnah calls the matter of the Gemara calls the matter of the day. So, like we read yesterday, Parshas Mishpatim. From the second one, we read the portion of Rishchaydesh, and from the third one, we read Shikalim. Similarly, when the new month of Tevis, when Rishchaydesh Tevis falls on Shabbos again, we take out three scrolls. The first one, we read the Parsha of the week, which is going to be Mikates. And the second one, we read the new moon, and the third one, we read the reading for Hanukkah. Now. So, uh, so, the, so there's a machlekes here in the Gemara. Which one? What? What? If if this is the order we do, or we do the other, the other side, other way around, right? So the first, why do we do this order? First, the parsha of the week, then Rish Chaydesh, and then we read, um, then we read the the reading of Shikalim or Hanukkah. Why is it that order? Why Shikalim might be? You might think Shikalim is more important. Shkalim only comes once a year, Rishchidosh, right? Why do we do Rishchidosh first? So the Gemara says that this is indeed the opinion we follow because Tadir Rishayni Tadir Tadir Kaidim. There is a principle that whenever you have a frequent mitzvah and a non frequent mitzvah, the frequent mitzvah takes precedence. Now it's interesting, a whole discussion. When you're saying that one thing takes precedence over the other, does it mean that it overrides the other? Or does it mean just that you do that one first? So if the two are, in other words, if the two are mutually exclusive, um, then which one do you do? For some reason, here we're not discussing that. Here we're discussing which one do you do first. So, for example, we just had this in the Kitzur Shukhanar class recently, um, where you put on your talis before the tefillin. Why do you put on talis before tefillin? Because talis is more frequent, it's seven days a week, versus tefillin, which is only six days a week. So that's why we put on the talis before we put on tefillin. So, so to here, the reading of Rishchodesh is, um, is 
you know, more than 12 times a year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's every month. And the reading of Shkalim is only once a year. So therefore, the reading of Rishchidosh um, comes first. Now, there, what about the Haftorah? So if, if you... If you um, You have, so we read the first reading, the parasha, then Rishchidosh, then, the, then Shkalim. So which Haftarah are you going to do? You're going to do the Haftarah for Rishchidosh, or you're going to do the Haftarah for Shkalim. Now here, you could use the argument that says, Tadir Rishchidosh, Tadir, Tadir, Kredim. That here, the two are mutually exclusive. You can only do one Haftarah, right? So you should say, well, Rishchidosh is more frequent than Shkalim, so Rishchidosh should override Shkalim. We don't say that. One reason we don't say that is because Shkalim is... Other reasons that it's more important than Rishchidosh, but more, 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 uh, perhaps uh, more importantly, or another idea is that the Haftarah is always connected to whatever the, the Haftarah, the reading of the Haftarah is always associated with the reading that you read in the Torah. But when there's multiple readings of the Torah, the Haftarah is associated with the final one. Right? So we're going to read Rishchidosh reading first because but then we're going to do the Haftarah of Shkalim because that's the one which the reading of the Torah culminated with. Now here, we have an interesting question. Actually, Hudi spoke last night between Min Chamaev. He may have <coughs> alluded to this Shuvah. The Shuvah of the Nadi Behuda, where he says, this following story happened on Rishchidosh Adar. This story happened in Rishchidosh other in the shul of the Bachrim. So it seems the Bachrim were doing their own thing and they weren't, uh, uh, there was no one senior rabbi there to make sure they were doing things right. So the Balkari made a mistake. And uh, when he finished the parsha, instead of reading Rishchidosh, he took the second sefer and he read Shkalim from the second sefer. Um, and he started reading Pasha Shkalim. And in the middle of reading, um, they realized, hold on, we're supposed to be doing Rishchidosh first. So they paused in the middle, and they came to the Neide Behuda's office. Sorry. They came to the Neide Behuda's office to ask him what to do. The Neide Behuda was the Rav and also the Rosh Hashiva in Prague. So they came to the, him to ask him what to do. And he said, I, I paskened that they should finish Pasha Shkalim, and afterwards they should take the third Torah and read the reading of Rishchidosh, and that then they should say the Haftarah of Rishchidosh. Um, and he goes on for a very long piece to, to, to verify the truth of his psaac, that they should continue reading um, that one. And then he finishes off, but why did I say to read the Haftarah of Rishchidosh? He says, simple, because the reason usually we read the Haftarah of Shkalim is because that's what you just culminated the reading of the Torah with. So here, when they did it the other way around, we should do the Haftarah of uh, uh, of of Rishchidosh. Um, okay, I'll skip this. Okay, that's the end of Parshas Now, what about now? Moving on to the following week, which is Parshas Zohar, remembering Amalek. So what the, the, the Torah tells us in the mitzvah of the Torah, remember, don't forget what Amalek did to you. What is this mitzvah actually? How do we remember Amalek? So, the Gemara says like this, how do you know that the word remembrance involves reading it out loud from a book, verbalizing the words. Perhaps it means looking into the book and reading it silently. In other words, how do you, how do you know that you have to actually say the words, remember what Amalek did to you? And uh, so the Gemara says that the Pasuk says, al is the, the, I mean, it's a positive and a negative mitzvah, but it's a double thing. Remember, do not forget. So because of the double thing, if it would just say remember, I would have, I, that I could have conceived, conceived that perhaps it means just, you know, remember it. But now that it says remember, don't forget, obviously it's coming to tell me more than that, that you actually have to verbally remember Amalek. Now, so we know that there's a mitzvah to verbally remember Amalek. 
we still don't know what that mitzvah means. There's many variables. First of all, how often do you have to do it? How often do you have to remember Amalek? Now, you could say, remembering Amalek, if, if the Torah doesn't give a timeline, then you always have to do it. Now, if you always have to do it, so we find the many mitzvahs that the Torah doesn't give a timeline, that always means once a day, right? Which is why, for example, you have to put on tefillin once a day. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah you have to do it once a day. You just have to put on tefillin. You understand that, therefore, the minimum is once a day. Obviously, the ideal might be to wear tefillin all the time. Similarly, the priestly blessing is a mitzvah every day, right? The Rambam says, mitzvah levarich yeah. we don't, in the we only do it in Yom Tif, which is another discussion, but the ideal mitzvah is to do it every day. Why every day? Because it just says to do it. So you have to do it every day. So similarly, you might say you have to remember Amalek every day, which is indeed the basis for our practice, that we have the sheish zechiris, the six remembrances that we say every day, and every day we say But yet, that does not, that, the way Chazal instituted the mitzvah is to do it once a year, um, to do it once a year, and to do it in a way that it's once a year from a Sefer Torah, not from a Chumash, with a bracha and an ali and a whole thing, with a minion. Now, we can question which of those details are mandated by the Torah and which are added by the sages, which of those details are a biblical mitzvah and which are the Rabbana mitzvah. There is a very interesting rush, which seems to imply that reading it with it from a minion is part of the biblical mitzvah, because there is a famous story in the Gemara and Brachas, which says that a Belezer came into the shul, and there were only nine people there, and they needed a tent. So what did Rebbe do? He freed his slave, and uh, an Evet Kanani is an, a quasi-Jewish state, but then when he becomes freed, he's like a convert. So he gave him a bill of uh, release, and uh, and uh, he discharged him from his, right? And then he became a full-fledged Jew, just so that he could have a mincha with a minion. So the Gemara says, hold on a second, you're not allowed to just free an Avid Kanani, there's a mitzvah not to free, you're not allowed to free your slaves unless there's a need to do so. So in the, his discussion of this whole story, the Rush suggests parenthetically um, that he says, you know, don't tell me he just did it to do Kedusha and Baruch because Kedusha and Baruch are rabbinic enactments and you wouldn't be able to violate the biblical mitzvah of freeing the slave. Um, to fulfill those mitzvahs. And he says, oh, don't tell me it was for the biblical mitzvah to read. It, it was here. The way Mestabili, the Mairi Ba'asara de it doesn't appear to me to say that this story happened when it was a, there was a biblical requirement for a minion. For example, to read Pasha Zohar, which is biblical, because the story in the Gemara implies that it was just the need for a minion, not the Gemara would have said that it's Shabbat Zohar. So anyway, then he continues his discussion. But what the, again, the simple reading of the Rosh seems to be suggesting that the requirement to have a minion for Shabbat Zohar is biblical. It's not conclusive evidence because, uh, because it's not conclusive evidence because it could be that it's a it's a biblical mitzvah to remember Amalek, and therefore that would be a more important thing. The requirement for a minion is always rabbinic, but the minion, a minion for Pasha Zohar is more important than a minion for a regular Kedusha and Baruch Hu because the, the mitzvah of Zohar is the Raisa. But again, the Rosh is often quoted as being the uh, opinion who holds that hearing Zohar even with a minion is the Raisa, which is why there is such a strong push, um, and even in Shukhanarach it talks about um, perhaps it's even, Shukhanarach says that if you live in a town where there's no minion, it's more important to go to the big city for the minion on the Shabbos before Purim and hear Zohar with a minion than it is to hear the Megillah with a minion because the Megillah, according to the majority of opinions, you fulfill the mitzvah even without a minion, and indeed many often, yeah, we say people are not feeling well whatever the reasons, situations are, okay somebody comes to your house to read the Megillah for you whereas Zohar, the Rosh seems to imply that there's an actual obligation to hear it with a minion, so uh, uh, all you people who are uh, not coming to shul for COVID perhaps should consider, based on your rabbi and doctor's advice, whether this week should be an exception. Um, certainly those who came specially to get an aliyah before your chat should come for... <laughs> anyway, um, Okay, now, 
what would be the reason? Is this how, do I have this in English? Okay, let, let's read the Sefer Achinuch together because um, he gives us some more detail and then we could discuss it further. So the Sefer Achinuch says, we do not know established time of the year or the day for this remembrances with the heart and the mouth, such as we are commanded to remember the Exodus of Egypt every day and night. So for example, those other mitzvahs which the Torah explicitly says, we learn out in the Mishnah, that every day of your life, you have to remember the Exodus of Egypt. Whereas on Malik, it doesn't say explicitly in the Torah how often. But the... He says the reason why it's important to remember Egypt every day is because, as we have spoken elsewhere, the Sefer Chinuch elaborates on this elsewhere, that actually remembering Mitzrayim is the fundamental basis of everything else in Torah, and therefore we have to remember it every day. But the reason for remembering what Amalek did is only that the hatred in our hearts not be forgotten. And for this, it is enough to remember the matter once a year, or two years, or three years. So you see that the Sefer Chinuch, again, is saying that the biblical mitzvah, the biblical mitzvah, is not necessarily every year. So you could say, okay, you know, this year is COVID. According to the Sefer Chinuch, this year is COVID. So it's only a Durabalan to hear Zohar every year. If I hear it every two or three years, I'm also okay. And again, I don't think two or three years is also written in stone. You have to remember it from time to time. Behold, in all of the places of Israel, they read the book of the Torah over a year, two or three. Anyway, even, even if you only read the Torah the way they used to do it in Israel, that they would finish it once in three years, so at least once in three years, you hear it anyway. So we, so we fulfill the mitzvah. So you don't really need to, need to, again, from a biblical level, says the Chinuch, you never really need to go out of your way to fulfill the mitzvah. Perhaps you should say that the custom of Israel to read Pasha Zohar on a specific Shabbos each and every year is a law from the Torah, and it's due to commandment that they fixed it that, um, like that. Um, and as always, on the Shabbos before Purim. Um, I think he... One second. He seems to be suggesting that the minhag, the minhag, the minhag to read it every year is based on perhaps that there is a does perhaps as a mitzvah to remember it every year. So that's how the minute came to do it always before Purim. And really it should be done on Purim itself. Um, but, but when we do it before Purim, to make sure that we remember that the hatred of Amalek is the, um, where is it? In order to make known that the, uh, before the miracle of Purim, we were commanded with this remembrance, they fixed it before Purim. Okay. Um, the one interesting One interesting reference to it, doing it once a year is based on the Gemara elsewhere that says that when you see a friend who you haven't seen for a whole year, you say, who resurrects the dead, which we've had, we've spoke about that in the past. Nowadays, it's not the custom usually to say that, bracha. but why a year? So the, so the Gemara there says, because the Pasuk says in Tehillim, um, I'm forgotten as a dead nishkachti kimes I've forgotten like a dead man out of the mind. And with regard to the laws of um, lost objects, okay, it is human nature not to despair of recovering the lost part. Sorry, never mind, never mind that part, is this part. A dead person is only forgotten from the heart after 12 months, as it says, I've been forgotten as a dead man out of the mind. Rashi brings us famously with Yaakov, that Yaakov Avino mourned Joseph for 22 years, and he could not forget him, because had Yosef legitimately been dead, he would have been able to forget him, because that's the nature Hashem made, that after 12 months, we could get over it, so to speak, the loss of a, of a, of a close one. But because Yosef was indeed still alive, so that's why Yaakov was not able to overcome his mourning. Now, what would be the reason to say that you need a minion for this minhatayr. Why would there be a biblical obligation to do this with a minion? Oh. Now, if you look in the Rambam, you have to go back and say, what, what is the reason for this mitzvah? There's a reason to remember Amalek. What's the reason for this mitzvah? So, in the Rambam, it's more explicit. It's not so explicit in the Rambam in, uh, in the Mishnah Torah, although it is alluded to there, but it's certainly more explicit in the Rambam in the Book of the Mitzvahs, where he says, the Book of the Mitzvah, positive mitzvah number 189, he says, this, this mitzvah is that Hashem commanded us to remember that which Amalek did 
to us um, that he was the first to be bad to us. And we remember this at all, at all times that we should arouse ourselves to, to wage war against him and uh, encourage everybody to hate Amalek so that nobody should forget this mitzvah, etc. So it's explicit in the Rambam uh, that the, in the book of the mitzvahs of the Rambam that the reason to remember Amalek is a precursor to the mitzvah of, um, of waging war against Amalek. In order, to, in order to be motivated to wage the war against him, we have to actually hate him. How are you going to hate him if you keep on remembering what he did to you? So the Rambam says, and again, in the, in, in, if you look in the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, it's less explicit, but perhaps also in Hilchis Malachim, though that's the final section of Halachas of the Rambam, chapter Hey, Halacha Hey, number five, chapter five, number five, he says also there's a mitzvah to always remember Amalek in order to arouse the hatred toward him. So if you say that the mitzvah is in order to remember the hatred toward Amalek, in order that we be motivated to fight against him, so then that could perhaps lead us to understand why you would need a minion for it, because the, the, the obligation to wage war against Amalek is an obligation that rests on the community, not on the individual. Um, so it's a communal obligation to wage war against him. So similarly, it could be a communal obligation to remember Amalek, that might be why, why you need a minion. Now, soon we'll see how this perhaps connects with the question uh, that everybody is always excited about, whether or not women must come to shul to hear Shabbat Um Let's see. But, so so we'll, we're going to return to women in, 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 soon. Just want to show you, oh, so these are the psukim that I referenced before, that in Pashas Bishalach, all it says is, the Lord said to Moshe, inscribe this in a document as a reminder and read it, it aloud to you, sure that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. Verses in Deuteronomy 25, where it says, therefore, when the Lord your God grants you safety from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord gave you, that the Lord your God has given you, as an hereditary portion, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven, do not forget. Now, this first one, sorry, the second one, Deuteronomy 25, that's what we read for Shabbat Zohar. Of course, we also read it in the summer in Parashas Kisaytse, when we're reading that parasha as part of the cycle of the Torah reading, we read it then as well. This one, which is Parashas B'Shalach, which we just read a few weeks ago, this is part of the reading on Purim Day itself. Purim day, before we read the Megillah, we read from the Torah. This is what we read this story, the actual story of Amalek. Now, the Magen Avram says that if somebody does not hear Shabbos Zachar, if he doesn't hear the Torah reading on the Shabbos preceding Purim, no problem. Go to Shul on Purim, listen to the reading of this one, of Exodus 17, and discharge your obligation in that way. However, the Mishnah and um, others say no. You can't substitute reading this for reading this. Now, it doesn't talk about this explicitly. If you say that there's a biblical mitzvah to read it once a year, so then you could, uh, instead of reading Ampashas Zohar, you could read it Ampashas Kiseitse. But I don't know if people are going to remember by Ampashas Kiseitse. And more, perhaps more to the point is that we're addressing people who are not going to shul every week whether it's people who live in a town where there's no minion in the small villages, or whether it's, it's, it's women who don't go to, whatever the reason is, whereas I'm poor, everyone's coming to shul anyway to hear the Megillah. So fine, so come a few minutes earlier and listen to the reading of the Torah of Yavi Amalek, and you're done. And the Mishabura says, no, the two, you can't hear, it says explicitly that you have a mitzvah to remember it and not to forget it. And actually in the Pasuk before, which is on the end in Pasuk 18, it says what they did. It says what Amalek did to you. Whereas in, 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 in Parshish B'Shalach, uh, it doesn't even say, um, it doesn't say not in any, as much detail. Yeah? In other words, in Parshish Kisaytse, it says, uh, they called you they killed the people who were in the back, etc. It speaks more detail about what Amalek did to the Jewish people than it does in B'Shalach, and it certainly in B'Shalach doesn't say in such strong words to remember, not to forget. In other words, right? So how could you substitute this for that? Now, one could say, one could say 
that the difference between these two opinions is whether, in other words, the question of whether the reading from Bashala from Exodus 17 can substitute the reading of Deuteronomy 25 depends on the Rambam that we just said. If you hold that the mitzvah to remember Amalek is in order that you always remember what he did to you, so that you motivated, that you hate him and you're motivated to go to war, then you need um, Deuteronomy 25. But if there's another reason for it, right, then perhaps if, if it's not just about remembering the hatred, so then perhaps Exodus 17 should be good enough. What could be another reason to remember Amalek? So um, it could be that it's um, perhaps less from a halachic or halachist perspective, but um, a more wholesome perspective is, you know, Amalek came after the Jewish people doubted God. You know, is Amalek, we always say Amalek is gematriosophic, Amalek is doubt, Amalek is, 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 is um, plants, doubts in our mind. If you look in the memoriam from all the Rabbeim, and in other svarim, you know, in all svarim of, of, of over the generations, the amount of uh, uh, teachings there are about what a Malik represents to us. Um, and specifically, yeah, perhaps you could say specifically the story, the context where it comes in in Parshas B'Shalach, I have to remember us doubting Hashem's presence. So if that's the point of it, if it's not so directly related to battle, then perhaps that would make sense to say that Vayavi Amolik can substitute it, and that could be the crux of this Machlokes. Now, who was Amolik? Was he a Philistine? Was he an Egyptian? What was he? He wasn't an Egyptian. Uh, he wasn't a Philistine either. Amolik was a separate. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they were they were connected. Yeah, they were a nation. They were. I mean, they were cousins of the Philistine. Yeah, they came from Asaph. I believe, I don't remember the, I mean, you could look in the, in the Torah enumerates the genealogy, I don't remember it all offhand. Um, now, now, okay. So indeed, it is the practice of many, Let's just read the next two sources and then we'll discuss further. Now, the Sefer HaChinuch says that its mitzvah to remember Amalek doesn't apply to women. Why doesn't it apply to women? Because this commandment is practiced in every place at all times by males, because it is upon them to wage war to avenge the enemies, and not, to, not for women. So because, he says, because women don't go to war, so because women don't go to war, so therefore they don't have any mitzvah to remember Amalek. Now, the commentaries are very disturbed by this. Where do you get this from? The Rambam doesn't say that it doesn't apply to women. And, um, and then also they reference the Mishnah and Soito, which says that the women's exemption from war is only for a voluntary war. But with regards to a mitzvah, the Chemis mitzvah, such as eradicating Amalek, then it says even... Even a chosim even a groom from his uh, from the you know from the wedding room and a bride from the wedding canopy have to go to war. So first of all, it's not even true that women would be exempt from the war against Amalek. And second of all, just because even if they are exempt from the war, it's, it's not a time-bound positive commandment. Like we said, there is no specific time that you have to remember it. You have to be with practices to do it once a year. So, 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 so why? Where's the chenuch get this from? That uh, that even a calumet, that, that that women are exempt from Parsha Zohar. Now, this proof that he brings that the Mishnah says explicitly that a bride from a wedding canopy goes to war. So there's different ways of addressing that specific question. Some say very simply, no, women never go to war. Uh, that women, when it says that the woman, the woman from a wedding canopy is just you know, if 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 a chos, if the chosen has to leave in the middle of Shavu Brachos. To go to war, so what's she going to do? She's just going to stay there, stay there and twiddle her thumbs. It doesn't mean that she goes to war. It just means that she no longer sits in the chuppah. And you know, the wedding celebrations get um, interrupted. In fact, some say this is a, a controversial uh, statement in the America today um, that a woman would never be allowed to go to war because it would violate the negative commandment of the Yilbash Gemar Simlas Isha for a woman 
to 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 have a man's garment. So for a woman to carry weapons is a violation of that commandment. In fact, we read in the Haftarah in Parshas Peshalach a few weeks ago, we read the story of uh, Sisra, that uh, Yoel was chasing Sisra, sorry, um, that Barak was chasing Sisra, and he took refuge in the house of Yoel, Yoel, and she got him drunk, and then she took the, the peg of the tent, um, and she and she stabbed him with it in his uh, in his temples. Yeah. So the the Gemara, the matter, I forget what it is, says why she take the why she why she kill him with that because she was a woman. Women don't have weapons, and it's actually a it's it's, it's a big question today that, that many people want to have concealed carry. Is a woman allowed to is a woman allowed to carry a gun, or does it violate the biblical commandment of a woman not? Uh, yeah, you can't say it's not because nobody holds that it's pekuach nef. If it's pukuach nefesh, if it's a life-threatening situation, so then then you could violate any mitzvah, you could violate Shabbos, right? But nobody, we're not saying we're not talking about the situation where walking in the street without a gun is pukuach nefesh. In other words, there's a halachic, uh, right? Dry, not any time that could possibly bring to injury is halachically considered pukuach nefesh. There's a certain um, spectrum of range of danger which is halachically considered pukuach nefesh, right? Uh, so. So, um, so just for for the, for the, for for self defense, walking in the street, nobody says it's pekuach nefesh. If it was, you would never be allowed to walk in the street without a gun. Right? Nobody's arguing that it's not. So, if it's not pekuach nefesh, so lechayra would uh, it's certainly a big shaila whether there's a whether it's permissible for a woman to carry a gun. Anyway, um, back to the the story over here. So. Even though the simple reading of the Mishnah over here seems to imply that for a Muhammad's mitzvah, a woman would go to war, um, we could read we could read it otherwise. However, the so 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 the Sefer Chinuch still seems to be quite a novel idea. In other words, he himself he doesn't seem to say this explicitly anywhere that the mitzvah to remember Amalek. And don't forget, it's not just a, even if you somehow argue that it is a time-bound positive mitzvah to remember Amalek, it's also a negative mitzvah. Don't don't forget. And women are obligated in that. So what could possibly be the grounds to exempt women from it? And many argue with the Sefer Chinuch. However, we, it, 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 one could suggest, based on what we said before, that there are two understandings already in the Rishonim as to what the reason for the mitzvah is. Is the reason because of going to war, or is the reason other or is there another reason why we have to remember Amalek anyway? Like the Minchus Chinuch says, perhaps we'll even have to, even after Amalek are eradicated, we might still have to remember them. Because there could be other reasons to remember Hashem's presence, whatever it is. So, therefore, you, you, this question, whether or not women are obligated in, 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 in Parshazach, it could depend on that. So if you say, let's just accept for, for a moment the Chinuch's um, Understanding that women would indeed be exempt from going to war on Amalek. So, if the mitzvah to remember Amalek is to go to is to, if the mitzvah to remember Amalek is to arouse the hatred, so we can be motivated to go to battle. So then, women are exempt because they don't need to go to battle. But if you say that there's other reasons for the mitzvah, so then that then then women would not be exempt because even though they may be exempt from going to battle, they're not exempt from being conscious of Hashem's presence, for example. But that would. For, if we are to accept this uh, suggestion, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't even see this explicitly anywhere, I, I'm suggesting that part of the problem, the struggle that women have with Pasha Zohar is that especially women with kids who are home on Shabbos, how they're going to get to shul, forget about COVID, even in a regular year, it's difficult. So, so now, first of all, nowadays, um, many people live in a city where there's an area of it. But even so, many people don't use the eruv. Even even, but even if you do use the eruv, that's a modern thing. In the old, in, 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 even in you know, in our lifetime, there were many big cities that didn't have um, eruvin. Um, and even if you do have an eruv, you know, women who are home with young babies, it's like to get the whole family out on Shabbos to go in his offer is a hassle. Versus on Purim to come in here by Yabayamalik is. Um, they're anyway having to figure out to come in here together, so it's often more convenient to do it that way. So it all fits out, it all works out neatly. Because if you say that the connection, that 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 um, the reason for Pasha Zacher is to arouse our hatred to go to battle, so then 
you have to hear the one from Deuteronomy 25 and the one from Exodus 17 doesn't count, but then women are exempt. And if you say the reason is, let's say, to remember Hashem's presence, which was the instigator of the Mechava Malik, so then women are obligated, but by the same token, Exodus 17 would be good enough. So that could, that, that could make sense. Lemaisa, practically speaking, in recent times, it's become much more common practice for women to hear Pasha Zohar, and we have all around every Jewish community has minyanim all afternoon and radio, you know, to, so the husbands could stay home with the kids and the women could hear Pasha Zohar. This is all a new um, phenomena, good word, new phenomena. That's not necessarily to say that it's not a good thing. You could have new customs and we got better and holier all the time, but it's certainly a new thing and certainly became much more widespread in the last number of decades, as did the prop propagation of Erevin. As more and more towns and cities got Muhuddika um, Erevin, it became more possible for women to do this mitzvah. The Torah's Chesed, who is, was a Talmud of the Samach Tzedek, who later lived in Eretz Yisrael, a very, very prominent Pesach in Chabad, he writes that, uh, you know, and in his day this was absolutely the case, that um, you know, women uh, don't go to hear Pasha Zohar at all. Um, it's not appropriate to be machmer about this and to make them hear Pasha Zohar, but Sibur, <coughs> in the Minig the, the, the Yisrael, we've never seen or never heard anyone require women to go to Shul to hear Pasha Zohar. But yet he says that, again, like we touched upon before, who says that hearing Pasha Zohar with a minion from a Sefer Torah is biblical. The Gemara says that the biblical mitzvah is not just to remember it in your heart, but to verbalize it. So take a chomish and read it. And so he recommends that on Shabbos Ocher, he doesn't, it's not into women going to shul or any of that, but women should take a chomish and read those psukim um, from uh, Shabbos Ocher. Now, so what's the practice? Again, this was uh, then, perhaps now, you know. So again, especially in Chabad, that uh, we... You, practically we're usually more machmir than others about Erevin and we encourage not to use the Erevin cities. So certainly women who have children at home, I think that uh, in Chabad they should be encouraged to find, get a babysitter or somehow go to Masha Zohar. Although in recent years, in very recent years in Crown Heights, they do some have a minyanim in the afternoon. It's a good thing, but it's not something that we need to push very strongly and encourage and upset our whole family schedules um, to accomplish. I will mention something that in the, the Rebbe, many, many times throughout the years, every year, encouraged and pushed very strongly Mifzapurim um, to be Mazaka, all those around us to fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim. And in, in this book, where I, I see only one explicit letter, although I do have in my head that this is something that the Rebbe mentioned, whether verbally or in letters numerous times, but certainly once, the Rebbe, when he enumerated the mitzvahs of Purim, so to make people, help people fulfill the mitzvah of hearing Megillah, of Mishlech Manas, and the Rebbe adds in also of the hearing of the reading of the Torah of Ayyavah Yamalik. Now, the Rebbe does not say in that letter explicitly that this is in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Zohar, the Mogadah, it doesn't explicitly reference that. The Magen Avram does say that. The Magen Avram is certainly, yeah, it doesn't need my Maya The Magen Avram is certainly an important source. But in, in, in that letter, it doesn't even say that he's talking about women or, about, or it doesn't even say that he's talking about people who weren't in shul yesterday. Now, who do you do Mifsam for? Usually the people you're doing Mifsam with are not people who are attending shul. It's not explicit in the, in, in, in the Rebbe's um, directives, but it certainly does seem that the Rebbe is encouraging people to hear um, is he saying specifically for those for this Morgan of Rome, for people who didn't hear Zohar yesterday, for men, for women all of that, again, it comes up parenthetically in the letter and the Rebbe does not um, say explicitly one way or the other Okay, I'll just finish off very quickly that we have Parshas afterwards coming up Parshas Parah and HaChadosh um, Parshas Parah is also brought down in Shittah and Shulchan Aruch that it's also of biblical nature, although the question is asked and I haven't really seen any proper answers to that, like why, why would Parah be Midirai? So where does it say in the Torah that you have to read about Parah Aduma and you have to remember it and not forget it, etc. But nevertheless, there is such an opinion and so um, 
for all you folks out there considering starting up going to shul after COVID, certainly um, if you have any possibility to go for Shabbos Zohar, for this coming Shabbos, um, to hear Pasha Zohar, absolutely, and certainly for men. Yeah, for women, Sefer Chinuch says women are exempt. But certainly for men, um, you should do your utmost to go to shul this Shabbos. And um, in fact, there is a story told that there was a shliach who was back in the day who was, I can't verify the story, but I heard it from somebody who I trust, but it sounds a bit extreme, but I don't know. The story was a shliach in some small town in, in the United States who after Shabbos Zacher, it was found out that he stayed home for Shabbos and didn't go to the big city for the minion, and the Rebbe was very upset about it. Um, let's not get into all the details of the story, but certainly we should all do our utmost to go to Shul this Shabbos. If you don't go to Shul this Shabbos, then um, for hearing the Megillah, if possible, instead of going to one of the Megillah readings around town, go to Shul, go for Shachris, so that you could hear the reading of the Torah beforehand and fulfill the mitzvah according to the Magen Avram. And um, also for the Shabbos, the day after Purim, like we said, that's the Hafsaka, that's the break. But the Shabbos after that is Pasha's Para, which again, Shulchan Aruch does bring an opinion that that is of biblical nature to hear that. So again, another important Shabbos um, to go to Shul for. And uh, I understand that many people um, in this class, especially, uh, yeah, are already um, halfway or more than that towards being fully vaccinated. So we hope to see you back in shul very soon. And um, yeah, that's the end. That, that.